following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. that we started last week. But I want to start by looking at Acts chapter 2, uh, which is a great picture of this. And I have the wrong translation, so I'm going to have to read it off the screen with you. Uh, follow as I read. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them at all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people, of all the people. Um, Acts, uh, Acts 2.42 starts out with the, the believers devoted themselves to the church. Right? If we are integrally a part of the church, if it's something that we share together as the people of God, we are to be devoted to it in some way. Uh, well, what is it we're to be devoted to and what does that look like, especially for us here in Chiang Mai? Uh, well, in this passage, uh, Luke lays out uh, four what I would call passions of the church. He says they were devoted to four distinct and clear things. Uh, and of course, the context of this is Pentecost. Uh, on this day, the church was born. The Holy Spirit came down was poured out on the, the disciples and about 150 believers gathered praying. Paul goes down to the temple and there's this huge crowd that gathers. Paul stands up and he preaches the word. 3,000 people come to Christ. Man, how I dream for that day, you know. I get up and 3,000 people just show up to listen, much less get saved. Right? It's a preacher's dream, really. And, uh, and the church is born. And it says that these people, these 3,000 believers are immediately baptized, and they become the church together in Jerusalem. Um, and and uh, as, as it describes there in Acts chapter 2, it was both an organized uh, church that met together, and it was also somewhat informal and uh, unorganized. It says, the, it says in verse 44, and all, the, all who believed were together. Okay, the church is not all Christians everywhere in all times and places individually. It is what we are together. Right? And that's what the church is. It comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means the assembly, the gathering of the people. So the people were together, not just as individuals, but they were coming together as the church. And they were doing this in two ways. In verse 46 it says, and day by day, they were attending the temple together, all three to 5,000 of them as it grew, and breaking bread in their homes, uh, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. All right, so those are some cool church services. And, you know, we picture the early church was just this house church thing. Many places that's true. But in Jerusalem, it, wasn't, it was instantly a mega church, right? Five, it started out with 3,000. It says they grew quickly. By chapter 4, there are 5,000 people. Um, and if that's just men, we don't know how they counted, but it could be quite a crew of people. Right? Instant megachurch, uh, several thousand people, and they were meeting in the temple doing church, much probably like we do now, uh, a little different, I'm sure, but 
uh, there was preaching and there was, uh, there was church. And then it says that they, they were also meeting in homes for fellowship. Right? Um, and and as they, as they uh, met both in the temple and in homes, it says they were devoted to these four things, four passions that they were serious about. First one, it says they were devoted to the, uh, the apostles' teaching. Uh, the word and the teaching of the word was extremely important. It was, it was one of the passions of the church. But it wasn't just preaching in general. It wasn't just teaching the Bible in general. The apostles were proclaiming the gospel. And they were doing it from the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, every time they got up, they took Old Testament scriptures and they showed how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus in his saving work. Uh, they were preaching the gospel. Um, Secondly, it says they were devoted to the fellowship. The fellowship. Uh, the Greek word here, you probably know, is koinonia. It means simply sharing things together, having things in common. And it says that all who believed were together, and they had all their things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to all as they had need. Day by day they were in the temple breaking and, and breaking bread in their homes, right? So several things that are important to highlight here as they shared life together in community, in fellowship. Uh, first, they were spending time together. Okay? And it, it gives the appearance, and we don't know, uh, but it, in, in, uh, and it was an exciting time, I'm sure, for them. It makes it sound like they had a church service at the temple every day, and they went to everybody's home every day, and we ate meals together every day. So it's kind of like our brother by, you know, it's like camp, right? It's like camp. And they, we don't know how long this lasted, uh, probably not. Well, we know it didn't last forever because persecution came and they all had to flee and, and things changed. But the point is they were spending time together in relationship, building relationships and close friends with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, as they went to their homes, as they fellowshiped, they weren't just talking about football or the weather. right? They were sharing mostly what they had together in Christ. And as the word was preached, as the gospel was proclaimed, they went home and they, they shared together what they were learning about who Jesus was and what this life in Christ was about. Um, they were breaking bread together. And there's a lot of confusion uh, in this passage, and the, the New Living deals with that problem by taking the word breaking bread and, and translating it into both of its possible meanings. Breaking bread in the Greek can mean... Um, Sharing a meal together, or it can mean having the Lord's Supper. So which were they doing? Well, probably some of both. Um, they, were, they were fellowshipping together. They were eating meals together. But they were bringing Christ into those meals in that fellowship. And they were, their, their fellowship was revolving around celebrating Jesus. And lastly, they, they were taking care of each other's needs. Now, this verse freaks out. All, all people who have money, right? People who own houses, lands, have bank account, right? It's like, do we have to do this, right? Sell everything I own and give it all away. Well, uh, first of all, Acts 2, it's, it's, it's what they did. It's not commanded, right? But it is a model. And the picture here is that they were concerned for each other, right? However much you need to sell or don't sell, you work that out with God. Um, the point is they saw those in need and they were uh, taking action to help their, them in their needs. Right? They didn't just sit idly by and go, wow, it's kind of a bummer for them. I'm sure glad I'm not in their shoes. I'll pray for you. Right? No, they were actually uh, helping each other, caring for one another, taking responsibility 
uh, for those who had needs. Um, so, uh, so that's what it meant to, to be devoted to the fellowship. They're doing all those things. Thirdly, it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And here again, we have that problem. Is it, is it sharing meals together or was it communion? Um, I think both apply. I think both are true. But here, because they've already talked about fellowship, I think Luke has in mind uh, the Lord's Supper, communion. Uh, but what's interesting is, where did they do this? Where did they celebrate the Lord's Supper? Now, of course, if you're good church people, and especially if you're good church people influenced by kind of the whole clergy, like what the church is supposed to do officially kind of thing, we got this idea that they had to be celebrating communion in church because you've got to have a pastor to do this. Well, think about the logistics of this. Okay, there's three to 5,000 people meeting in the temple. In those days, they patterned the Lord's Supper after the Passover, which was a full-blown meal, right? Do you envision them celebrating communion, this meal, with 5,000 people in the temple? Didn't happen, okay? It just logistically was, was impossible to do that, especially if they were doing it repeatedly, right? Uh, certainly, they were celebrating the Lord's Supper at homes. Right? They would go home and they would share this meal and they would... Um, they would celebrate the Passover together in homes, uh, the, the Lord's Supper in, in people's homes. Um, and the New Living tries to capture that by saying all the believers devoted themselves to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals. So they kind of cover both bases. I think that's true. The point of all this is what? Well, they made celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection and his life bloodshed for us, they made that the central focal point of their gatherings, both in the large meetings as they preached the gospel and in their homes as they took the Lord's Supper together. The focus of it was celebrating uh, Jesus' life and his, his, his work on the cross and his resurrection. Right? The focus of their worship was Christ and what he had done for us. Um, that was at the core of the early church, preaching the gospel and celebrating the gospel. Lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer, to overcoming prayer. Uh, they were doing life together in community, and they took seriously each other's needs and problems and struggles, and they prayed for each other. Uh, they prayed for the power to grow and to deal with sin and temptation in their life and to overcome both the external problems, finances and health, and the internal problems of sin and temptation through prayer. Um, those were the four passions of the church. Uh, now what's interesting, we looked, started looking in Romans 15 last week, and I want to flip back over there, Romans 15, uh, verses 23 to 33, and let's uh, read this together. Um, what's fascinating is Paul was a missionary, but Paul was also seriously devoted to the church. Like many of you, Paul traveled a lot. He was never often in his home church. Uh, he, um, uh, you know, he, he was all over the place. But Paul, as we see in these verses, was seriously committed to the church, right? Wherever he was and whatever he was doing. And I know that for us, um, church and being connected to the church is hard when we're away from home. Right? We picture our home church, and probably most of us have had, a, I hope, a good experience at your home church. Hopefully you feel plugged in and supported there. Hopefully they're part of sending you here and praying for you. And you feel a deep connection to that place because you've 
Uh, you've been there a long time. Maybe you got saved in that church or you grew up in that place and you have long relationships, right? I loved when I was pastoring in the church because my, my, my ministry there was long-term, like cradle to the grave long-term, right? Now, I wasn't there that long, but uh, I started with people when they first came into the world, uh, day one, new life. And I got to be a part of people's life on the last day as we put them back into the ground and sent them to their final eternal home, right? We don't do that that much here, right? Most of us aren't here long enough, right? Uh, How many of you have been here, raise your hand, have you been here five years or more? Okay, it's about half of you. Raise your hand if you've been here ten years or more. Okay, it's about eight of you, right? Uh, Have you been here 15 years or more? Okay, so we're dwindling down. And there's a few like Johannes who's been here forever and ever and ever. And he's going to be cradle to the grave in Thailand. I should have had you translate. Why didn't you come out and translate? You were just watching me suffer through all this. Um, right, so it's hard when church is uh, temporary, right? We're coming and going. How does it look like? Well, Paul was in our shoes, right? Uh, but notice how he connects with and, and commits to the passions of the church everywhere he is. Let's read uh, uh, 15, verse 23, Romans 15. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions and in Greece, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Because he's writing this to the church in Rome, right? To see the church. And, and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints, to the church there. For Macedonia and Acacia, that is the churches in those places, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owed it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings of the Jews, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the, full, uh, in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I will come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. In this verse we see Paul connecting to the church, and not just to his home church in Antioch, but to churches everywhere, all over the place. Um, And so let's look through those four things, those four passions real briefly, and see how Paul connects with those things. First of all, is Paul devoted to preaching the word, preaching the gospel? Well, if you know anything about Paul, he's like the the poster child of preaching the gospel, right? He is eager to preach. In fact, what's interesting is it says that he is eager to preach the gospel in Rome. Uh, Notice what he says. uh, Let me read uh, chapter 1, the beginning of the letter of Romans, verses 14 through 16. He says this. He says, I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and to uneducated alike. So, I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, 
to preach the good news. Okay, Paul says, I want to come to Rome to preach the good news. And he's writing this not to unbelievers. Okay? This letter is to the church in Rome. He says, I want to come. I can't wait to get to the church in Rome so I can preach the gospel to the church, to you who are in Rome. He says, for I am not ashamed of this gospel, this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Uh, Paul could not wait to preach the gospel because he knew it would give life, not just the unbelievers, but that it would fortify and strengthen the believers there in Rome. Uh, I don't need to say more about that, but Paul was uh, committed to the preaching of the gospel in the church. Second thing, uh, fellowship. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this one because uh, of all the many ways that Paul seeks to plug into fellowship in the church. First of all, in verse 23, back, we're back in chapter 15. Sorry, I'm kind of blowing through this quickly, but back in 15, verse 23 says, But now, since I no longer have any work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, since I have longed to go visit the church in Rome. Right? This is a church that he did not plant. Uh, he knew very few people there. He knew some, but not a lot. But he says, I am longing to visit this church in Rome. Right? He, he has a passion for the church everywhere and a love for it. And so he, he, he has this dream, this longing to go meet the people there and fellowship with them. And he says not only to, to, to go to you, but he says, uh, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. He's got this, um, this vision to go plant churches in this unreached region. And he says, uh, I, I want to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Helped on my journey. The word help there really literally means to send somebody forward. He says, I want to be sent forward into my mission in Spain by you. Right? And it's interesting, this isn't his home church he's asking this of, nor the apostles in Jerusalem. He wants this to happen at a church he's never been to. He says, I want to go there, I want to get connected with you, and I want you to send me forward as I go into the next phase of ministry. Um, the word sent forward is, is a picture of outfitting someone for their next phase or mission. Okay, in, a, in a battle context, it would be training and arming a soldier for the next battle uh, or outfitting a traveler for their next stage of their journey. Um, Paul recognizes that he needs their help. And we don't know what all this help entailed, what Paul was envisioning, if it was material food and supplies, if uh, you know, he's going to pack up some Bibles to you know, smuggle into Spain. I don't know what he, what he needs. Or if it's, it's just the emotional support and encouragement, if he hopes they will support him financially. Uh, certainly, he, as he says later, he seeks their prayer support. But he uh, comes to the church and needs the church in Rome to support him to be effective in ministry. He is not a lone ranger. Right? And everywhere he goes, he finds himself connecting with the body of Christ. Uh, everywhere. Second thing we see is that Paul is hungry for fellowship and relationship. He says, I want to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while. He says, I want to, I want to, so I want to sit down and I want to have coffee with you guys. I want to have relationship with you. Uh, the word translated enjoy your company literally means to be filled up in part by you. 
to be filled up. He says, I need to get my tank filled of relationship, of encouragement, of fellowship, of community. Right? So I, uh, it's a long way, a long boat ride from Jerusalem to Rome and even farther to Spain. I need relationships. Okay? There's something about relationships that is life-giving and sustaining, and Paul knew that. And he wanted to be filled up with that uh, fellowship with other believers. Third thing he says, um, he, he, he shifts his focus from Rome, but he talks about his service to the church in Jerusalem. Right? And it's a picture of exactly what the early church was doing in Acts chapter 2. He says, right now I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. Um, now, now uh, you know, when we talk in Acts chapter 2 about them selling all their possessions to help those who have need, and all of us kind of freak out that we're going to have to, you know, sell our car and um, move out of our house and live on the street so that we can help those in need. God calls you to do that, you know, walk in obedience to that. But, but uh, that may not help because then you would be the one in need and I'm going to have to sell my house to help you. And I may not do that. So um, it's not, not necessarily the picture. But, but notice what Paul does here. Paul is like m- many of us. Paul doesn't own anything, right? So he could say, well, I'm off the hook. Uh, my bank account is empty. I'm, 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 I'm a missionary. I'm, I'm living on support. I'm barely able to take care of myself. So I'm not obligated to, to, to worry about this. But what does Paul do? He says, no, I, I see that the, there's needy people in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, there was a famine in that region. There were financial hardships. The church was being persecuted there. Paul says, I am going to bring them an offering. And I don't have anything myself, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to do my part to encourage the support from the churches I planted. And I'm going to collect an offering and bring to them. And um, Paul gladly does this service. And in this role, he's, he's not the great apostle proclaiming the gospel. He's just a messenger boy, right? He's just a delivery boy who collects the offering and takes it to Jerusalem. But he gladly serves the church in that way to, um, uh, to help those in need. Another thing Paul does is he is very accountable. Verse 28, he says, When therefore I have completed this task of, of, of the offering and delivered it to them, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Uh, it's unfortunate I didn't translate this uh, literally. Uh, the, the, the phrase completed this task literally is when I put my seal on it. When I put my seal on it. What does that mean? Well, seal was used for many things, but one of the things it was used for was when you uh, loaded up a bag of grain you were going to sell, you would weigh it out, and when you verified that it weighed how much you said it was, 50 kilos or whatever, you would seal it up and you would put your seal on the bag. And it was verifying uh, that you're putting your word on it, your reputation, that it weighs as much as you said it did. It was a way of, being, uh, uh, of having accountability, of having integrity, because it was your reputation writing on it. Right? So if a guy gets it home and he weighs and it's 10, kilometer, 10 kilos short, uh, it's your reputation. And that's what Paul's doing with the offering here. And as we read other scriptures, Paul worked really hard to make sure that this offering was delivered with 100% accountability. And he invited leaders from every church where he gathered money to travel with him. So when he got there, they could verify that Paul delivered the whole amount. Paul was not going to be charged of corruption, of 
of embezzling some of the funds, right? Uh, he was serious about this, and he wanted to have a high level of accountability before the church. And finally, the last thing in this, re, this area of fellowship, it says in verse 32 that, uh, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So Paul longs for fellowship and community in the church. Next, the goal of worship. Um, Paul doesn't talk about it in 15, 23 to 33, but in the verses right before that, he does. He says this in verse 5, Romans 15, 5. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you, as the church in Rome, to live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for the followers of Christ. Then... All of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God. Paul says, as the church, you need to be unified so that with one voice you can do what? You can worship God, give him praise. And he goes on and he says, remember that Christ came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. This is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, for this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And another place it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you peoples of the earth. Um, Paul's goal was planting churches and proclaiming the gospel. But his greater purpose in that was so that Gentiles everywhere would worship God, give him glory and praise, honor him for uh, what Christ has done for them. Lastly, Fourth thing, Paul upholds the passion of prayer. Verse 30, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. He says, pray for me. Pray for me. Uh, What's interesting here is uh, we see throughout Paul's epistles him praying for people. But here he says, I need you to pray for me. I need you as the believers in Rome to pray for me because I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Right? Uh, He says, pray that I would be delivered from my enemies in Judea. Judea, And pray that the believers will understand what I'm doing. Right? He was kind of worried on both accounts that the Jews would hate him and so would the church. He says, pray that I would have success on this mission. Um, The prayer did not quite get answered the way Paul would have hoped. Uh, maybe the Romans, Romans didn't pray hard enough, I don't know, but um, uh, God did preserve his life, um, and he did come to Rome. <laughs> First class, all paid you know, accommodations, actually, by the Roman government as a prisoner. So not quite what he was hoping for the answer to prayer, but uh, he needed their prayer support. All right, let me take just a couple more minutes and talk about what it means for us to plug in here in, in Chiang Mai, in CCF, right? How do we do this, right? Paul was committed to the church. He was devoted to the church everywhere he went, not as a consumer looking to get some benefit from the church, but as a member who is integrally connected with the life and community of faith. Well, first of all, uh, we should expect the preaching of the gospel, Right? Uh, one of the core values of CCF, we, we preach 
the word, we preach the gospel. It's one of the main and certainly one of the biggest blocks of time in our service. Why? Well, because we believe that it is what God's called the church to do. And not just to preach in general scripture, uh, to to teach self-help lessons, uh, to try to be relevant to people. Uh, It would be easier in many ways to do that. But we believe firmly that what is life transforming is the gospel, both in coming to Christ and to being changed by it. So we, uh, I work hard at preaching the gospel because I believe that it's only through what Christ did on the cross that our lives will be transformed. So I don't, I don't do a lot of series on, you know, five weeks on to a better marriage. Uh, not that God's not concerned about your marriage. Not that God doesn't want to transform your marriage. But what we don't need is five tips to, you know, surviving your wife or loving your husband or whatever. What we need is to learn how to bring the gospel into our marriage relationships, to learn how to show grace and forgiveness as Christ has forgiven us, right? That's the foundation of any successful relationship, certainly marriage, right? So, So we preach the gospel, and I would I would urge you to not settle for anything less than a church that preaches the gospel. Um, you know, last week I talked about the different kinds of church, and in Chiang Mai there's a lot of house churches. Can you go to a house church? Yeah, you can go to a house church. Right? There's nothing against. I have nothing against house churches, but but let me let me ask this. Right? If you decide to leave CCF and you want to go to a, a house church, make sure it's a house church that preaches the gospel. One of one of my my problems with house churches is oftentimes house churches get formed because they want to do the fellowship part of church better. And that's great, right? And I believe there's a need for that, right? In Acts 2, they met in the temple, they met in homes. Um, There's nothing wrong with doing house church as a piece of doing fellowship better. But it should never be a substitute for preaching the word, right? And too many house churches do, uh, or too often house churches do fellowship well at the expense of teaching the word and proclaiming the gospel. Uh, We need to do both. Uh, Why not come to church on Sunday morning and be involved in a house church the rest of the week? Well, I ask people that. I say, why can't you do both? You know what they tell me? Well, I only have time for church on Sunday morning. And again, that's a consumer mentality. Is this idea that church is something I go to and I can only squeeze it in on Sunday morning. Right? Instead of something I live in community everywhere I go all week long. Right? Um, second thing, we, we do need to commit to community. Right? The church isn't just the meeting on Sunday morning. It is what we are in relationship and in community throughout the week. Um, and this... Um, involves both the, the structured, organized part of the church and the informal, unprogrammed part. Um, at CCF, we don't program a lot of community, right? Uh, some churches do. Some churches like program very elaborate home groups and home group networks and all that kind of stuff. Um, we tried. Uh, honestly, you all don't do that very well in terms of you know getting on board with that. And maybe we shouldn't, right? Because maybe what we need is to do it more informally. Instead of it being a program that we go to as a consumer, maybe it's something we just need to learn to do as part of life. Um, and to do this, you've got to be very intentional about engaging it. 
right? If it's not programmed and it's not structured and it's just going to be out there, and you just got to find Christians out there where you live and somehow meet them and connect with them, it takes some effort on your part, right? You need to be intentional about making those relationships happen. We as a church can do some things. You know, we're going to have a, our campfire night. The point of that is to help you get together and meet people. But that that's community is so much more than that, right? And community is not just within the this group of people. Right? It's all the Christians. So you can do this with Thai people, with tribal people. You can do this with people from other churches. <laughs> Okay, you, you can have community with them. You can fellowship with them. You can even have like a Bible study with them. And I'm not going to like kick you out of the church, right? Because that's what we should be, right? We should be a group of people who love and support each other as the body of Christ, regardless of where we show up on Sunday morning, right? We need to build community together. And, and you need to plug into that, just like Paul did. And... The fact that you're here short term is not an excuse. Okay, maybe you're only here for a month. Maybe you're only here for a year. And you would say, well, I'm not here that long, and I don't want to get plugged in because it's so hard when I have to leave, right? Well, was, Paul was going to Rome short term. He was on his way to Spain. He wasn't going to live there forever. But he valued those relationships, right? We need to make time for those relationships. And here's the cool thing. Jesus is instant community, right? You don't have to speak the same language. You don't have to come from the same country. You don't have to have the same background. But what you have in common is Christ. And, and for those of you who have lived here a long time, I know how it is because I've lived here long enough that sometimes I don't have patience with the people going through here, you know, through the revolving door. It's like I don't want to do relationship with them because it's about the time I learn their name, they leave, right? Don't make that an excuse. Right? They need relationship. They may only be here for a few weeks, but they need you as the body of Christ sending them forward into what is next. We have a duty to, um, to share life with them. Right? But we need to be intentional about it, and we need to make, be intentional about meeting. We need to be intentional about making it gospel-focused. Uh, it's not enough just to get together and complain about your immigration problems. <laughs> as fun as that is, right? You need to make Christ the center point of that fellowship. Um, how do you do that? Well, there's a lot of ways. Again, you, you got to kind of. We don't have a lot of programs for that. One thing that we do though is each week I put together a sermon summary and, and some discussion questions. The point of that is for you to take what you heard on Sunday morning. And you don't have, this great thing is you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to agree with any of it. You could disagree with everything I say. And, but take that passage and that scripture and what you, what you thought you heard me say and talk about it. Say, I don't agree with any, find, find some group. Say, I don't agree with anything Tim said. He's just way off the, and, you're, and you might have great fellowship around that. Say, I don't agree either. Then there's common ground. Say, yeah, we don't agree with him. Let's burn him at the stake, right? Um, Get together and fellowship. And the point is to get in the Word, right? In the Word, to, to look at what the Gospel is. Look at what Scripture says and how it needs to penetrate your life. And to, to be accountable for that, right? To say, you know, uh, I feel God's convicting me that there's some sins in my life I, I, I wasn't aware of. Uh, the way I've been treating my wife is not Christ-honoring, or my husband, or my, my roommate, uh, my best friend at school, right? And, and I, want, I want you as 
as a fellowship group to hold me accountable to change and to see the gospel penetrate my life. Uh, thirdly, we need to contribute to corporate worship. Uh, make Jesus the focal point of, of your fellowship and, and worship him in it. Um, I love in, in Acts 2, it gets this picture it, that there's permission for you to celebrate the Lord's service, the Lord's Supper, outside of Sunday morning. Uh, you can do this at home with your home group or Bible study or today at lunch. Right Now, some of you, this is going to kind of weird you out because you're from a church tradition that, that's like, like not allowed. Okay, don't call it the Lord's Supper, but, but do this. Say, hey, you know, at this meal... Let's remember Jesus, right? Let's remember what Jesus did for us, and let's make that a piece of what we do together. And, and let's, let's just call it a party for Jesus. We won't call it the Lord's Supper, right? But let's, let's give thanks to him. Let's celebrate what Jesus did for us as part of our fellowship together. Lastly, we need to ask for prayer. Uh, we need to ask each other for prayer. We, we invite you uh, every Sunday. We, we have somebody available up here, usually meets the elders, who would pray for you. We cannot pray for you if you don't ask, right? I tried the whole telepathy thing, you know, mind reading. Uh, it doesn't happen for me. Uh, we've invited you to send us your prayer letters. If you, inv- if you send them, all the elders get them, we will pray for you, right? In, in, in fellowship, as you have needs, don't be a Lone Ranger superhero who can do it all by yourself. Ask for prayer. Ask people to join you in the struggles you are facing. Right? Same time, ask others for how you can pray for them. Right? Um, a lot of this is as simple as just inviting somebody to lunch, honestly. Building relationship. Making... Uh, the relationship part of the body of Christ is, is important to you. Uh, one of the four passions is it is the, the gathering together. Right? Um, we're not going to program it all. We program some. Right? But some of it is our own responsibility, not as a consumer, but as a member, to plug into the body of Christ, right? to build fellowship and community and the life that Christ has for us in his body. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.